welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark Sharon and I will be talking today about how people fully break free from the addiction and recovery trap. We, along with our colleague Stephen Slate, wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family. The Freedom Model offers a completely different approach to addiction and offers a real solution that is individual-centered. We offer two ways to learn the Freedom Model in private one-on-one classes. That's at our beautiful private St. Jude retreat or through at-home private instruction, which we do via video conference. You can get information about these options at thefreedommodel.org and soberforever.net. Mark has, uh, what he's going to talk about today is actually going to be in our online program. And when our second edition is released, which won't be for several months, I know people are kind of chomping at the bit for it, but uh, Stephen is working on it. Um, and uh, we're working on our online program. So so we've got a lot of, a lot of irons in the fire, so to speak. All right, go ahead, Mark. Okay, first of all, I, I just want everybody to know that I have a bit of a cold, so I'll be <laughs> coughing and hopping off the microphone <laughs> at times. I uh, just got a th- frog in my throat. Um, what I want to talk about is what we call the binge construct. Now, we've alluded to this in, in several of the podcasts and our live events, um, our broadcasts, but, uh, uh, but I really wanted to hone in on it here. And what I'm talking about is there's a certain style of substance user, and uh, they tend uh, the the construct tends to be extremely predictable when it comes to long-term drinkers, and uh, and it's a little less so with uh, drug takers. And the reason is is because the pattern is a little less um, predictable with drug takers because there's illegality involved, um, which complicates a binging process. But with drinking, uh, it's not illegal, and it's socially accepted, so it takes on a a sort of a life of its own. So let me explain what I'm talking about. So in the last, oh, I don't know, I would say six to seven months here at at the St. Jude Retreat, every single person that I've taught has followed the binge construct has their issue is that they they uh, are hiding their drinking uh, from their loved ones from their employers from the people that care about them uh, because their their loved ones disapprove and where they once had <clears throat> a a problem that was out in the open or maybe a little hidden now becomes very uh, deviant they start hiding. They're drinking predominantly all the time. And they uh, find a little place in the world where they can hide away. And then uh, when they drink, it becomes opportunistic, meaning they feel like they have to stuff a whole bunch of drink in, maybe 50 pounds in a uh, one-pound bag because they don't know when they're going to be able to drink next. So they get used to this sort of, I'm going to head out to the garage to my hidden bottle and I'm gonna pound, you know, um, uh, you know, six or seven shots at a clip, and so their drinking takes on a, a different flair. Then eventually, what happens is they get caught at this charade uh, a few times, and then they figure out that they just need to hide away completely. Maybe they go to a hotel. Maybe they have a room in the basement where they just drink. And even though the family obviously knows this is happening, it's far enough away or far enough away out of sight that the person 
uh, starts the binge usually with moderate drinking, maybe a pint of whiskey. They go to the liquor store, they get their pint, or maybe a six-pack of beer at the gas station next door to the hotel, and they say, you know what, I'm just going to relax and do my own thing here, uh, tired of the world. I'm just going to escape and leave for a while. Um, then uh, a day or two into that sort of drinking, or maybe just hours into that, uh, they realize, no, really, what I want to do is get totally shithoused, and I'm going to get a couple of handles of vodka or whatever their drug of choice is, and I'm just going to hole up here and enjoy this. And usually within 24 hours, they're not enjoying it anymore. It becomes an incredibly lonely uh, process where they do not um, escape anything. They, as a matter of fact, they sit and ruminate on their problems. They realize they can't shut their mind off because the mind is uh, out of touch of what a physical pharmacology can handle. And, uh, and then they sort of live in that dark, dark place uh, for a few days. Then the idea that they're going to have to stop uh, and go through either withdrawal or just a horrific hangover is forefront in their mind. So they're kicking the can down the road by just staying totally hammered, and it turns into a nightmarish bender. <clears throat> so at that point, eventually they have to stop because the physicality of it is just so demanding that they have to they have to stop. And so they either go to the hospital or they return home, hungover beyond belief, and now they're filled with shame, regret, and it's two days of hell. Uh, and you know the bills have piled up. They haven't escaped a damn thing, and they wonder the entire time why they do this. And not only do they do this, but they repeat it over and over, and sometimes they do this for 10 or 20 years, and it becomes a binge construct. It becomes a construct in their mind, and it's really interesting as a researcher to have um, interviewed so many thousands of people that have done this that it's so incredibly predictable. I was able to write a piece called The Binge Construct that everybody agrees with that, that goes through this. Uh, I used to have similar drinking bouts like this, and I know Michelle did, and I know Steve did similar things with, with heroin. Um, so there's, there's, uh, there's reasons for it, and, uh, and we'll get into those in a second. <laughs> Did you have anything to say to add to that? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, you know, other than these, what I've seen over the years is the this binge construct seems to take on a life of its own after treatment. After you are exposed to the idea that you're powerless, the idea that you have a, a disease that's that's progressing. As you get older, even if you, I mean, we've seen people that had 20 years abstinent that rate like this past year, more than anything, we've seen more and more people coming to us who were like, you know, I was abstinent for 10 plus years and going to AA and it was working for me. And then the pandemic hit and, you know, now I'm, now I'm drinking worse than ever. And, and so this is what's important to know is these this whole binge construct is fueled by the idea that if I take one drink, I am, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's a huge point. And I probably wouldn't have hit that because I was focused on the binge con construct itself. But, um, yeah, that, that sort of throws, uh, gasoline on the fire, doesn't it? So you, 
you already have the disapproval of those around you, which is driving this hidden behavior, right? Well, this yeah, you probably went to treatment. I admitted I had a problem, right? You did all everything right, seemingly, and then and then you acted out what you believed during the pandemic, right? And all of a sudden, everybody's pissed off. All right. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point. So so now <clears throat> when they they ask you, you know, why are you doing this? And you say, well, it's my disease. Mm-hmm. I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. People don't accept that, though, do they? No, they, they're, they, they're tired of that answer. Mm-hmm. But it does work for a while. And here, But here's the problem. You believe it. Yeah, that is the problem. The, the problem is you believe it. You're the one that's that's sitting there saying, oh, yeah. You know, I'm an alcoholic. This is what I do. I have one fellow I've been working with for for a while who that was definitely the pattern of his drinking. And and even after I I I was teaching him for a couple of weeks, he he went on one of these benders and he said, you know, Mark, I do this because I'm an alcoholic. And I said, you really you, you really didn't listen, did you? You know, we went through the addict and alcoholic self image chapters. Yeah. And then he was like, my God, it's so yes, I do remember the chapters. And and he goes, I can't believe that I still think this stuff. And I said, well, you know, when you've been to 15 rehabs like you have been, it's pretty hard to let go of such a ready-made wonderful excuse to go out and just say fuck it to the world. Yeah. You know? Um, let me let me get into something that's going to seem maybe a little bit crass about certain people in this population, but I can say it because I was one of them. There's And Michelle talked about this not that long ago. There's a certain class of these people that, love the binge construct because they have the fuckets. They say, yep. you know, I don't have to be an adult. I can just get totally wasted and tell the world to go scratch and live in this hotel or whatever it is, your easy chair marinating. Um, and uh, because you just want to, you just want a vacation. You want your mini vacation. And, and that's fair as long as you're willing to say it to those around you that are paying the price yeah. with you. You know, it's fair to say, hey, this is something I love. This is my vacation. This is the way I'm going to express my independence. And by the way, this is what I'm going to do for for a while. If that's the truth, then say it. Own it. Um, that's not to say that you can't change it. Of course you can. But there are people out there that don't want to change it. They want to drink. It's the way they assert their independence. Um, it's the way they think that they can control their their stress levels. Um, none of that is actually true, and I think anybody that's been on a binge construct cycle for a while will tell you that their problems just pile up and get worse. Um, but boy, the hope that it's going to be like it was when you were 25 is there. That's and, it. Yeah, right? That's the key. I mean, I, I was just talking to somebody in class the other day about that, the idea that you know, when you were in your early 20s and you went out partying, you know, maybe you were in college, maybe you were, you know, I went to college and I worked a 30-hour work week as a full-time student. And so when I went out, it was to blow off some serious steam. I mean, and it worked back then. It was a lot of fun. I didn't have any other real responsibilities. I wasn't, you know, in a serious relationship. I wasn't, you know, I, I kind of was, but he wasn't there, so I could come, I could do what I wanted, and um, and it was a lot of fun. But a lot of fun at twenty one is not the same as a lot of fun at fifty one, because the world does not see you the same way, right? And the other thing that's interesting is, 
I deal with the, the binge construct with a lot of people in their late 40s to early 60s. That seems to be the peak for this group, right? Yeah. And what ha- the reason that I'm talking with them or they've contacted me at the retreat, why they come to the retreat, why they do this is because they have too much wisdom. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. As we get older, not only does the world change and have different expectations of you, you do. You have different expectations. The thing, your interests are different. Now, the, the need for stress relief in human living is universal. Every human seeks a, a more comfortable place, a place of comfort. The question is, how do you get it? And is it effective? You know, and so what happens is at 25, you really can get away with acting like a jackass as your stress relief. <laughs> you, and frankly, you know so little about living that it really doesn't matter. Mistakes are made daily. When you're 50, if you're making mistakes daily, uh, your life is falling apart because there's a shit ton more responsibility that you have. Yeah, there's a lot more at stake. Right. The consequences are deep or deeper. And so you have this level of wisdom. You have this natural evolution that you have as a human being. You're moving forward in time and space and your interests and preferences are changing everywhere. The things that you loved at 25, you, you don't love at 50, m- the majority of them. You've moved on. But then you have this drinking issue that you, God damn, you, you're like, I'm going to keep trying to pull any ounce of fun out of this experience that I can. And boy, it ain't working. Well, that's because you're too wise. Right. It's okay. It's okay to say it. It's okay to say, you know, this isn't working. This Maybe I need to, to look for another avenue of stress relief. This one ain't working, you know? Um but people often ask me when they're really confused about this, well, then why do I keep going back to it? And I said, because of the hope. There's this tiny little three or four beer or drink or hit window that you think you're going to get. Your expectancy is so great that it's going to be just like it used to be that you actually feel some stress relief for a minute because you create it. You create it. It's a placebo. You create it in your mind for about an hour. Then you get bored, and now you're just drinking. Now you're just sitting there drugging with all the same responsibilities roaming around in your mind, torturing you. But it's worse now because you have this false hope that the alcohol is some kind, somehow going to miraculously go away. And so you go into your fantasy stage of the bender. You might even go out and get hookers. You might start shopping. You might start doing any type of behavior that's ridiculous and going to fill your life with, with some sort of relief. None of it is working. And then four days later, you go, that was a horrific waste of my time. Right? Yeah. So so it's it's uh the question is how do you solve this? How do you and and now there's a bunch of things that that make it possible to solve this. First, you have to agree and look at why you like it on the front end, what you're trying to get out of this. Most likely it's some sort of stress relief, some sort of mini vacation, some sort of um drinking at people for independence. And uh the question is is it possible for you to get all of those things in some other way? And uh, if you quit drinking or uh, moderate, will you be happier doing that? And most likely, if you look at it factually, logically, you'll see that drinking really isn't doing what you think it's doing. And so you're beating your head against a wall. Um, 
But the other thing is you've got to let go of the alcoholic self-image, this idea that, oh, once I start, I can't stop. You know, that's just nonsense. You're trying desperately to get back something that you're never going to get back. That's what's actually happening here. And uh, the other thing is you might just be so wrapped up in it that you actually think it's worth it. You might actually like it still. Uh, You might say, fuck it. I just want to be drunk as hell and not go to work and not do my responsibilities. I don't want my kids. I don't want my wife nagging at me. I don't want life's responsibilities. And you're just kicking the can down the road. Those are powerful motivators to drink and drug, let me tell you. Um, But it's going to be a hell of a painful thing when the bill comes due, you know? Yeah, and look at we we're talking about middle age and and a little older than that, forties, fifties, sixties. But with the current narrative in our country, um, with this idea that that people shouldn't be uncomfortable even for a minute, we're seeing this more and more with young people too. You know where where they feel overwhelmed, and I can remember feeling pretty negative and getting sucked into my my um, you know negative life sucks then you die kind of mentality when I was in my teens and early 20s too and and drinking thinking that somehow that was helping me or that that was almost a manifestation of my you know you know fuck everything attitude you know what I mean so we're seeing this more and more with young people as well because there's a belief that that substances have these powers to help us or to get us through these times. Or quite frankly, I think if people were being honest with themselves, it's just nice to, to have a different state of mind for a minute. Yeah. I I think that, I think that's right. And, and it's can't be overstated that people will do just about anything to not feel the sting of life. And, uh, and the and the it's always the question of is it working? I right. get I get going on a bender, right? I get oh, under- I do too. Just just checking out, just deciding I'm done. And but the question becomes, uh, when was the last time you really had a great time doing it? <laughs> right to right. accurate <laughs> because because you can also check out and get on a boat and go for a boat ride you can also check out and go for a run i mean there are literally infinite ways that you can take a mini vacation that's exactly right it all comes down to a change in mind if you're if you're trying desperately to have a substance change your mind uh, it's going to be a pretty miserable process because it's not going to do that very effectively. See, the reason that drugs and alcohol are so um, alluring in this respect is we get we get a an effect physically, and then we interpret that physical sensation as somehow being equal to, and actually causing stress relief in our mind. Right. So we think that because the body is numbed that your brain tissue is slowed down, that somehow that has slowed down your mind, but it hasn't, has it? Think about when you're on that bender and you're three days deep and you're not passed out. I'm, ta- I'm not talking about when you're overdosed. I'm talking about in any stage prior to that, you're still thinking all the negative shit that you had before you went on the bender, aren't you? 
Be maybe, honest. You are, but maybe not initially. And this is, I, I was talking yes. to one of my students about yes. this, where where I, because I, she has this exact thing where she will be abstinent for a period of time, and then she'll just, you know, on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night, she'll start drinking her wine, and she gets it delivered, and so she gets a steady stream of what she likes to drink. And And I asked her that. I said, so does it help you? And she goes, well, you know, initially, I, I, it, it's a, it's the ritual of it where yes, she'll the distraction of ritual. Yes, where she'll, sit, you know, she'll get everything all set up and she'll sit down on her couch and she'll turn on the show she wants to watch and she'll just start drinking the wine, and and for that first hour to hour and a half, she's like, I do feel relaxed, I do feel good, and then. And then I realize I've just drank a whole bottle of wine and then I feel like shit. And then I drink another bottle of wine because now I'm beating myself up because I've drank the whole bottle of wine and I wanted to stop at two two glasses. <laughs> and this is so relaxing. This it's, whole process is so, so relaxing. So then she feels so crappy that one night turns into four. Uh, well, that look at And what? then her daughter calls. Oh yeah, yeah. Then well, the she's drunk, and then and then the whole thing. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's so. So I'm like, so what? Why didn't you stop at the second glass? And, yeah, and that is. Let me tell you what that is. Why? So let's start with that. The temporary stress relief. You're not getting a pharmacological right change in stress relief. You're simply going into a bender with an altered state of processing speed in your brain tissue, okay? Then you, with your mind, your mind looks at that sensation and interprets that for a little while. The problem is, is that the mind is too damn smart. So it looks at it and says, okay, all right, this is good. So after an hour, you're bored with that. Yeah. yeah literally, the distractive value of two to three drinks it becomes boring to you. So, and you, so then you're chasing it. That like as if. Uh, let me let, let's think about this. So you have a bender at twenty, maybe sixteen, maybe if you're a late bloomer where you started drinking at forty, it was really exciting, and you could go into this fantasy land on a bender for sometimes a couple of days, mm-hmm. like it was very adventuresome and exciting and new and wild and you could delve deep into your mind and thoughts maybe some of you wrote poetry or did artwork or I wrote or, poetry yeah deep <laughs> deep right and then and then maybe some of you went on road trips or did wild things and crazy things I well did that <laughs> well all of a sudden here you are now you're 40 50 60 and you're not doing any of those things you know why because you've done them all yeah. you've done them all sober You've gone to Italy with your wife for a vacation. You've been to the Caribbean eight times. You've maybe whatever it might be. You've done all that stuff. So now uh, using alcohol as, as sort of an enhancement for those things doesn't really cut it. So it only lasts about two to three drinks, a couple hours. But then you spend the next eight days trying to make it like that one trip you had when you were 16 or those 10 trips you had in college or those 10 trips you had in your 30s when you first started drinking that were exciting. Or you're trying to make it like the first two drinks you had that night. Uh, that's Does a that make point. sense? Yes, it makes sense. I mean, sense. Because, yes. because that's what it is. You, you like, but what I explained is it's not the drinks. 
that That's relaxed right. you. It yep. was the ritual. It and was the anticipation. That's right. It was, it was, you know, that this is what I do to relax. And, and so the challenge becomes, how can I change my ritual? And, and I personally think it's important if you want to stop this binge cycle that you change your ritual to have no alcohol for a period of time. Yeah. Re, you got to rewrite it and explore. Just put, just take the alcohol out of the equation, you know, make yourself a mocktail of sorts. Like I, like for me, I like, um, seltzer and cranberry and a wedge of lime. There's no alcohol in it. And I can sit down and turn on a show and feel very relaxed with that cocktail, that mocktail. (laughs) Or, or yeah, that, that can work. And then the other thing that you can do is start to realize that maybe you're just a different person yeah, and you need a different style of relaxation, uh, relaxation. Yeah. Maybe take a walk. Yep. Yep. Or, or maybe, maybe you have so many problems in your life. You just need to solve the damn things. Yeah. Stop procrastinating. Yeah. Stop kicking the can down the road and grow up. I know that sounds rough, but, but there comes a point where you got to have a self dialogue and say, Jesus Christ, you know, my life is shitty. It's a train wreck. Maybe I'll just start fixing things. And honestly, when you talk to people who have naturally aged out of drinking and drugging, that's what they did. Yeah. They they took the bull by the horns and they said, you know what, I'm gonna stop being this negative prick and I'm I'm gonna start just fixing the things that I need to fix. I went through a period, certainly in my early to mid forties, where I had a lot of stuff I had to take care of. I just it piled up. I had a little pile of stuff that I'd accumulated in my adulthood. But they were different problems than when I had problems when I was 19 and 20. They were just a different style. They had more consequence and they seemed a, a lot more daunting. But but nonetheless, I fixed them. I didn't drink my brains out looking at for alcohol to be some sort of elusive sort of magical substance that was going to solve it for me. Yeah, that's that's the one thing about the freedom model is, you know, we kind of we kind of wreck the magic and and even when I've gone through things and at every stage of life you you face certain challenges, of course. Life is life can be very very difficult. And um and to to be able to to know that there is no magic pill, that there is no magic elixir that is going to solve your problems or even temporarily allow you to escape um, is, is a little bit disappointing. <laughs> it is. It is. But, you know, at the same time, once you've figured out ways to move on and change your life and you're very conscious of it, it's also wonderful. Yeah, it is. It's freeing. Yeah. Completely. Because here's the deal. The binge construct doesn't work. That so when you come to grips with that, the fu- the feeling of futility is what drives people to the retreat. Here, they say, "I I just don't yeah. know why I keep doing this. It hasn't worked in ten fucking years." Yeah, and you go, "I get it, I get it," but you 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 still believe it works. You still are trying desperately to make it work, like you did when you were twenty or whatever. It depends on the situation. Um, so I guess the point is, here's the deal. Your binge construct, if you're this style of drinker or drug taker, uh, can end. You can move on from it. The futility of it is real. What you're feeling isn't fake. It's not, it's not working for you because alcohol can't do the things you Or use. any other drug. That's right, what you used to believe it did for you. We can get away with living in illusions for a period of time. 
but then the chickens come home to roost and reality is going to strike through. But here's the best part. Reality and addressing problems in a productive manner with a clean mind and brain is so great once you understand that it's great. You don't understand that because you're using a tool that is totally inadequate for the job. It's called alcohol and drugs. They will never fix the issues you're desperately trying to fix. The only thing that can fix them is the thing you were born with, your mind. That's it. There's no other way. You can live in all kinds of illusions about that, but it's not going to fix the problems. So if you want to change your lifestyle, first get rid of the mythology, come to grips with the fact that you're trying to change and change your preference, read the freedom model from beginning to end, and now Michelle will tell you how to get your free copy and, and to move on with your life. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior, or you want help in breaking free and moving past recovery as well, you can reach us at 888-424-2626 or through our websites at thefreedommodel.org, soberforever.net, and leaveaddictionbehind.com. At thefreedommodel.org, we offer a bunch of free resources and information, including videos, podcasts, and ebooks. You can, our podcast listeners can get free digital editions of our books, The Freedom Model for Addictions and The Freedom Model for the Family. Um, at thefreedommodel.org, enter coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout. Um, that will work on your mobile device. Um, if you have questions and you want to reach us, you can call us at 888-424-2626 or email us at info at thefreedommodel.org. You can follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and subscribe to the Freedom Model YouTube channel. We have three Facebook groups. These are private groups that we started for people to discuss their experiences, breaking free from addiction and recovery. They are the Freedom Model group moving beyond addiction and recovery and families moving beyond addiction and recovery um, from everyone here oh if you need detox if you are stopping alcohol heavy alcohol use or benzodiazepines or opiates or you want to uh, explore getting off of suboxone or methadone you can call our friends at gallus detox that's g is in girl a l l u s detox.com and they will definitely help you from everyone here at the St. Jude Retreat and the Freedom Model, we wish you well. Until next time.